I understand what you don't like about me. I do. I wish I could do something about this. I can't. I can promise you two things. One, I'll always look this good. And two, I'll never give up on you. another episode, episode 80, in fact, of The Fear of God. Uh, We are here every single week having a conversation about the intersection between Christianity and the horror genre, and having that conversation is myself, Reed Lackey, and typically with me is uh, one Mr. Nathan Rouse, but but unfortunately he was having some trouble shaving down his horns, and uh, so he had to go to a very specific barber and have that done. I, I don't quite know what that means. Also, he said that, you know, his tail had a mind of its own. It was some sort of weird thing. Thing and, and and I don't know. I know my tail tends to have a mind of its own whenever, like a you know, my favorite jam comes on. Whenever something is is really uh, is really rocking, then my tail my tail really gets a great. Oh, Nathan, Nathan, hi, hi, buddy. How hey, you buddy. Doing? I'm good. I'm not. I'm um, not as horny as I was before I went to the barber, the horn barber. So, yeah, do that. Oh, um, so you know what's funny about you talking about shaking your tail or your tail having a mind of your own? Uh, the other night uh, while doing dishes, because uh, I'm a 2018 husband, um, I had I had the 80s on my Spotify, and I don't remember exactly what the song was, but I was just jamming. I was just dancing to the 80s, and my wife was like. You you haven't even had any alcohol or anything. Like this is just you, isn't it? I was like, yeah, it is. And then I shook it. I shook it. I did it. That's awesome. Um, that is so. so anyway, awesome. so yeah, 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 yeah. So so here we are, episode eighty eight zero. Episode eighty. We're right in we're the heart f- of hashtag Del Toro Toro Toro. Uh, we're officially we are, octogenarians here at the Fear of God. You like that? Hey, that is really great. I'm glad you pulled that up. That's uh, that's that. Yeah. Uh, now I'm struggling to find out what the 90 would be, because um, because uh, I don't have that in my. It would that be? Is that uh, Septua? What's what's Sep? Sept. Well, see, I thought Sept was uh, was seven. Then I don't you know. might be right. We'll we'll, we'll have yeah, to look we'll, that we'll up. We'll figure it out. 
Yeah. But uh, yeah, kudos on Octogenarian. Um, so yeah, we are uh, still in the throes of uh, our series on Guillermo del Toro. Um, and we are covering this week uh, his uh, probably one of his biggest sort of blockbusters, as it were, uh, in terms of you know popularity. I know Pacific Rim has quite a bit of uh, of at least you know fan affection, but yeah, we're going to be covering Hellboy. So before but before we get into all of that, uh, Nathan, I just got to know what you watching, mm-hmm. what you reading. What you reading? What you listening to? What are you listening to? Thank you for those smooth <laughs> stylings of Reed Lackey. Um, <laughs> I don't, half the time, I don't know what's going on in my brain before that's it all right. happens. That's I just, all right. I just, I, that's it, how it, it goes. Just, just, just I was re-listening to... Was it the Devil's Backbone that I did the Bob Dylan one? That was really funny. I think I think that was. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. you that thought was it was funny. funny. Yeah. It was oh, funny. it was quite funny. <laughs> Bob Dylan thought it was funny too. He told me. He said, "Good job, Nathan." Oh um, <laughs> um, so I'm gonna throw a, a grenade in a backpack here that will hopefully oh, maybe spawn boy. a little bit of conversation here. And like, read, read, read. Uh oh, read. Uh oh. You know what I? I you know what I saw recently? Oh no! What'd you see? What'd you see, brother? I I saw Annihilation. <gasps> oh yes, yes. So indeed. yes, I did go see Annihilation, and I, I, I will confess to a slight bit of overhype, and okay. and in the, in that kind of first hour, uh, gotcha. You yeah. know, I was kind of I was trying to kind of adjust to the frequency of the movie, and the movie operates on a very specific frequency. However, even in saying that, I will state that few movies have left me thinking longer than that of late. Like mm-hmm. there hasn't been a movie I can think of in the last couple years, at least uh, where I am still kind of meditating on what that movie does and where it goes and, and what on earth it all means. So yeah. while I would say to a listener, if they're interested in the movie, it is absolutely worth your time. You may feel that twinge like I did of like, I'm not sure, uh, but it, it it is it's a meditative piece of art, and oh, absolutely, you know, yeah. you will be mulling it and thinking about it, and and I mean, the night I came home, I spent 45 minutes at midnight, like just looking at reviews and think pieces, and like, oh, that sure, meant that, sure. wow, you know, just there's a lot of stuff to kind of absorb that the movie does, and so I would, for me personally. On the whole, I think Ex Machina is pound for pound a better film to me. Um, I wouldn't disagree. Yeah, but but what Annihilation does well, it does insanely well. Mm. You know, whether it's as you alluded to that ridiculously freaky scene in the two thirds mark, or the last the last bear scene. Yeah, yeah, the last twenty minutes of the movie. I mean, it is. It, oper- yes, it operates yes. on a very different level than a lot of its peers. Yeah, I know. I wholeheartedly agree. It's a very, it's a very provocative and very thought-provoking film. Um, and and I really appreciate films that invest in their science fiction ideas. Um, this is a film that is that that is very much exploring some conceptual things that I think are uh, that I think are very interesting. So yeah. Now I was, had you I now? Fan of it as well. I don't think. I have inquired this of you. Have you read the books or the book? No, this is this is one where I have not. I, I was immediately became very interested in the book once I saw the film. 
Uh, but no, I haven't. As of this recording, I have not yet read. Well, the book. it's it's a trilogy. I don't know if you know that. Um, no, I didn't. Yeah, no. it's called the Southern Reach trilogy. And interestingly, I was listening to a podcast discussing it. Uh, Garland wrote the screenplay after just one reading of the book, the the first book in the trilogy. Oh wow! And and more or less wrote it kind of from memory. It was more about, and this will make sense if you've seen the movie. It was more kind of feeling and sense and intuition and, and a, a response to the oh, text. Oh, wow. Um, to the point that my understanding is, I think the author's name is James Vandermeer, um, <laughs> you get the impression that he doesn't love the movie uh, because it does oh, wow. take some very specific deviations. But like a good person who probably made a lot of money when his book got optioned by Hollywood, uh, he's being a sport <laughs> and, and doing the promotional circuit kind of thing. Sure. Uh, anyway, that makes uh, sense. I, I did see Annihilation. I would encourage any of our listeners, um, and who knows, maybe we'll actually cover it on the show at some point, but it is very worthy of your yeah. time. Yeah, no, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I definitely think it's a fear of God candidate uh, at the very least. Um, so uh, I'm going to do a book, uh, something I'm reading. Um, it's very brief. I am literally, I literally got it from the library like two days ago, and I'm almost done with it. Um, it's called You're Not That Great, but I'm sorry? is everybody else. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. It's uh, it's called. I thought you just paused to insult me before you told the title of the book. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no. It's so it's called. It's by uh, a person named Elon Gale uh, and uh, producer on The Bachelor, the show The Bachelor, which I have some complicated feelings about the show. Uh, I know it's it's very popular with a number of people and whatever, um, but the book itself is very interesting. Elon Gale is not a, uh, a believer by any stretch. Uh, that that's pretty evident in some of the. Sort of the observations but it's a very it's it's a very thought-provoking and dare i say like kind of comforting uh look at just being honest with yourself and being honest with your expectations and being honest with your navigation throughout the world uh and the the complications that come come along with that so uh yeah it's he makes some really potent observations about what we do to try to you know, make ourselves feel better about ourselves and make ourselves and 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 he, he deals quite a bit in the book with sort of expectation management. Like I see this other person and I see how they have it and and that elicits want and desire in me to be like that. But uh, but he has some again, some some surprisingly comforting observations in that the book is called You're Not That Great, uh, but neither is anyone else. And uh, so, yeah, it's by Elon Gale. His name's spelled E-L-A-N, last name G-A-L-E. I mean, so, is, yeah, this, is, this a, uh, is this a case of you just saw a cover and, and found it intriguing? Like, how do, what, what yeah. provoked your... This is one of my things? library browsers. Uh, occasionally, which I don't get the chance to do very much anymore, it used to be a weekly thing, but now it's, it's about once a month or in the really busy times, once every other month, uh, where I'll go to the library and I'll just look at the new shelves or I'll browse a particular section and then just grab a title or a cover that looks interesting to me i know you can't judge a book by its cover but i just randomly grab what looks and looks or sounds interesting to me um and i've often stumbled across some some really cool things um so yeah this was one of the, just the library grabs interesting yep so that's what so, i've been but reading see, now you now you just now i just want to go binge watch the bachelor uh, that I'm really surprised you got that from what I can <laughs> That was a joke because like I really the, have uh, no yeah. interest whatsoever in doing that. That's like the Alka-Seltzer commercial that started selling spaghetti sauce. You know, it's like, have you heard that story? Yeah. So, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, that was another edition of What You Watching? <laughs> what Are You Reading? Blah. What Are You Listening To? 
tell me no. <laughs> I, I just did. <laughs> wow. All right. So oh, it's, a boy. Two, it's a two-pod night. Um, all right. So we are, we are You can, tell. You can in, always tell. We are in the throes of hashtag Del Toro Toro Toro. Uh, we began with the prologue two weeks ago with The Orphanage, uh, a fantastic movie uh, that we gave one of our highest rankings ever. Um, we then continued with last week's uh, The Devil's Backbone, which I did not necessarily love the watching of, which sounds like I did not like it. That's not what I meant to convey there. However, uh, whatever I felt about the watching of, I really loved our conversation and felt like there were some really cool things to present themselves in it. And today, we are talking about the Mike Mignola-created, uh, Guillermo del Toro-adapted... Yes. Hellboy number one. Hellboy um, number one. You know, yes. you know, and I'm sure I will feel this even more profoundly when we get to Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah. It is difficult to watch the execution of... Even, even include Shape of Water in there. Like, it's difficult to watch the execution of del toro's monsters and not think good lord why could we have not had del toro's hobbit like oh, it's so right. Right, right right it's so frustrating that that yeah that those aren't good that, that, let's just be honest they're not good movies and hmm. it's such a shame to feel like oh what could have been yeah and he's had a few like there's so many. There's a book that I was reading in preparation for this called uh, Cabinet of Curiosities, which is a really great book um, about Del Toro's like notebooks and and some of his sketches and thoughts, and it's got a lot of his artwork in there and everything. And when you look in that and you and you get to the section on abandoned projects, now Hobbit wasn't included in that abandoned projects. But when you get to the section on, like, you know, his idea for At the Mountains of Madness by H.P. Lovecraft, and you look at some of the things that he has begun pursuit of trying to see fruition of happening and then it just sort of dissolves or it doesn't come into to play uh yeah he's an incredibly fascinating individual well it's interesting like i don't get any impression whatsoever and what i'm about to follow with makes it sound like i'm countering that and suggesting he is because i'm that's why i'm saying i don't think he is like this i don't think he's a difficult creative he certainly does not cast that aura but it is interesting the number of projects well, I guess I'm just thinking of two specifically that have he's been long attached to that just go nowhere. The Hobbit being one of them, and I don't know if you know this, but right. like Justice League Dark, like for years yes, right. he's been his, his name has been attached to that, and I I still think his name is still attached to that even loosely. I was like, that's that's yeah. that's never gonna happen, you know? Like yeah. just let's let's all be honest here. Zack Snyder's directing <laughs> that, and it's gonna be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <my> <laughs> I mean, it's in the title. It's dark. It's Justice League Dark. That is Zack Snyder's stock oh, and the trade. The embargo's off. Yes, the embargo yes. is lifted. The embargo is lifted. Exactly. Oh, it's so true. Uh, I mean, I it's think so we true. already had Justice League Dark. It came out last year, <laughs> <laughs> which I still haven't seen. By the way, I all this time I, I still haven't, haven't seen. either. Uh, but uh, but no, so like uh, it's funny because anybody who works with him, uh, you hear nearly nothing but praise about uh, Guillermo del Toro. By the way, um, right? <laughs> you, you, I got it. <laughs> you, you hear nearly nothing but praise about like the onset 
feeling, the the general work ethic, and the the craftsmanship, the the unbelievable attention to detail on things like tone and rhythm and general aesthetic of the film, uh, and of each of the film's individual pieces. Like he's a very deliberate and very calculated director. But yeah, it is funny. I, I don't I don't get the sense that uh, he is by any means a difficult creative. I do think he is difficult for certain. I could I could see this not ever being a studio executive. I could see how a studio executive might find him difficult to market or difficult to promote or difficult to to sort of wrap their heads around what he was trying to accomplish. Like I feel like there's three different del Toros that we get. I feel like first you get your horror uh, which would be like your Chronos, your Mimic. Uh, I would throw Crimson Peak in there. That, that's like your straightforward horror, right? I actually have not. Real quick, real quick interruption. I've not seen Crimson Peak. Do you like it? I like it quite a bit. Yeah, yeah I like it quite a bit. I don't think it's his strongest work, but I like it quite a bit. I, I was very taken into the aesthetic of it, but it is it is very much a sort of a in the in the vein of like the Hammer horror films, which I still don't think you've seen most of those. But um, but so it's not like jump make you scared anything like that there's definitely some horrific things and a couple of really tense moments but it's very much a, a sort of other gothic strain and very atmospheric uh which i responded to very positively I, yeah i like crimson peak quite a lot so you got your horror del toro and then you've got your uh what i will call the fairy tale del toro and i would even put devil's backbone uh I have difficulty deciding whether to put it in almost the like ghost fairy tale or into the straight horror, but that's like your Pan's Labyrinth. That's your Shape of Water. They're like you know very, uh, very much like adult fairy tales. And then very you have uh, especially <laughs> Shape of Water. We'll get there. Um, but uh, I can't wait. But <laughs> but then um, I feel like you have your more just sort of popcorn blockbuster guy. Like you got your and these these have horror elements to it, and they have monsters in them. But you've got your Blade Two, your Hellboy One and Two. You've got your Pacific Rim, um, and I feel like those are really easy for people to sort of get their heads around and say like, oh yeah, well we understand what this is going to be, and we'll let him do his thing. But yeah, there are certain projects where I feel like when he approaches the project, um, it is it's almost as if his very distinct vision runs into conflict with what the studios sort of wanted to take with the film. Like I remember reading, he was offered blade two and he told his agent, I don't want to do blade two. Like I have no interest in doing blade two. And then his agent was like, do you ever want to do Hellboy?" And he said, well, yeah, I've been wanting to do Hellboy for a long time. He said, no studio is going to green light you on Hellboy with only Mimic and Kronos. Like, they're not going to do it. You've got to do, like, a, a straightforward sort of action blockbuster so that they can see that you can handle this kind of material. So you got to do Blade 2. He was originally attached to do uh, an adaptation long before the Will Smith one of I Am Legend, and the vampire design that he had crafted uh, sort of in the throes of I Am Legend evolved into what we saw in Blade 2. Now, I cannot remember. Have you seen Blade 2? I have not. I have not. Um, eventually, like, it's not like run out see it right now he has much better films but it is surprisingly good and i think that is your i think that will be your experience you'll go in with cool. pretty low expectations and you'll be like that is much better than i thought it was going to be and so but he did blade 2 and that of course got him into you know link with with getting to signed on to do hellboy 
But yeah, it's interesting. I, everybody who works with him seems to have nothing but praise about his persona, the way he treats people, the way he engages with the material, his craftsmanship. Um, so it is it is a bit surprising that he can't seem to always get projects he loves off the ground. Well, it's funny. Um, I'm, I'm tipping my hand a little bit with, with maybe some of my feelings on Hellboy, but I think it's fascinating to juxtapose something like The Devil's Backbone with... I would say maybe Hellboy, and it's been years since I've seen Hellboy 2. I only saw it the one time, so I, I would not be able to use it as a basis for the conversation. But um, between Hellboy and Pacific Rim, much more so Pacific Rim, though, again, I would lump Hellboy in here a little bit. There's You've got Devil's Backbone, which, again, regardless of whether I adored it or just really appreciated it, there's a lot that is happening on the page and under the page in the devil's backbone. Mm, mm -hmm. Oh yeah. But then you have something like Hellboy, which is pretty straightforward and even much more so Pacific Rim, which it's like, I remember watching Pacific Rim in the theater and being like, yeah, (laughs) that's exactly what you sold me. You know, is, is (laughs) giant robots and giant monsters beating the crap out of each other. There's really nothing else going on here, which is kind of cool. And I like it and I'm going to eat my popcorn, you know, like (laughs) that, that was fun. Um, which it's just, it is, it is good and it shows skill as a storyteller and craftsman to be able to go big uh, and, and kind of, if we can say it brainless uh, and then have these quieter films like backbone that are rich in what is really going on. Sure, in it. So, yeah. so no, I mean, he's, he's, he's unquestionably talented and for as personally, as much as I feel like, his overall oeuvre, I wouldn't categorize him as like a favorite favorite for me. I'm still a deep appreciator and respecter of his skill and talent and craftsmanship. Oh, yeah. No question. No question about it. And I will tell you, so the night that I refreshed to watch, uh, to to prepare for this conversation, I watched Hellboy. And then I had enough time in the evening, so I went on and watched Hellboy 2. I very, I very much think that the value of this kind of conversation, we should start with the first one, because the first one has... Uh, some very you know particular themes that are very different from the Golden Army, but yeah, the Golden Army is I think the more fun and dare I say better film. Uh, some people would disagree with me about, but but I think Golden Army is the better of the two movies, and it is interesting because in Golden Army, and this is why I bring it up, Golden Army is where you see a bit more of what you and I are talking about about his sort of the the thematic undertones, the what's under the page. Right. Hellboy feels much more direct and feels much more straightforward, which is what I which is why i think golden army feels somewhat elevated because it's um because it is a little bit more digging into some of the themes and the characterization that's taking place it if we ever have a conversation about it i do have some tweaks to my feelings about the ending uh not necessarily how the story resolves but just how the film ends but that's a conversation for another time we are talking about uh the first one now was this your first or second what what viewing of it um, was it for you? This would be number two. Um, this would be, I'm number pretty two. sure, I definitely saw it in the theater, and I don't think I've seen it since then. So um, this okay. was a second go-round. And uh, one quick uh, Nathan Rouse shout-out. Uh, Hellboy and I, in addition to our, you know, physiques, being epically, you know, ripped and shredded, we do, we do, <laughs> yes. we do share birthdays. I don't know if you caught that. Uh, if, oh, if, if, no, I didn't. if we are basing birthday on when Hellboy enters our reality, which was October 9th, 1944, I was like, hey, 
right. <laughs> All right. All right. October 9th. Man, Hellboy. You are kindred spirits with a demon who is set to, uh, destined to bring upon the apocalypse. That is, that is great. But, until until love and uh, uh, patriarchal uh, affection uh, avert apocalypse. Say, hey, you know, I'm down with that. I'm down with that. That's, exactly. that's all the themes. Exactly. That's all the theme I have right there. No, um, <laughs> you know, I will say uh, in terms of watching the movie, there are we we are in peak superhero movie. I think many yes observers yeah. may have thought. We were cresting uh, the other side of it, but between Black Panther last month uh, going on to become uh, uh, the highest grossing superhero movie of all time, which is, you know, shout out Wakanda forever, and us being Man. weeks away from Infinity War, we are in full-throated superhero, you know, intensity. Sure. Um, it is interesting to watch this movie and be so stinking impressed with the creature designs and and a oh, lot yeah. of this is rooted in mike mignola who um now okay so well here's a here's a a, a brief uh, uh ad from our sponsors here like have you how, how much of hellboy have you read uh very little okay. in fact i did read uh, yeah uh, so that's one thing you could speak to more effectively than i could because i've read um when the film first came out i didn't see it in the theater i saw it i, I think at its initial uh home video release but but uh, when it came out, I did sort of seek out uh, some of the trades of Mike Mignola's work. Um, but that, but it has been since then that I've read something. I didn't reread anything in yeah. preparation for this. Yeah, well, and I, I would echo a similar sentiment there. Uh, my sort of awareness of the comic world, of, of, it's been kind of on the radar for years and years now. Um, at the point of the movie's release, I did consume a lot of it. And I think, I think some of my dissonance with the film adaptation has a lot to do and hear me I'm not like a hellboy devotee I, you know there are plenty of people who are much sure, more sure. avid and rabid fanboys of that than I am but I really fell in love with the conceit and which which on the page which anytime you're adapting a wealth of material, a lot of things are going to get consolidated and or, and or just completely ignored. So I, I recognize that. Um, but on the page, I just loved this kind of like, uh, this will make sense to you, this this X-Files, but where the Mulder and Scully character is a monster himself. You know, like yes, like that's, yes, that's the yeah, premise. Absolutely. And I just really loved that notion as it's expressed in the book. Now, it came to have a lot more of a, uh, a spine of mythology to it, and I recognize that. But in terms yeah. of just the pure adventures of Hellboy, it was him just exploring and investigating with the BPRD these these ancient paranormal type of things. And I was like, this is really cool. Sure, yeah. um, and I, yeah. I feel like to a certain degree, the movie sets some of that to the side for, for the overall mm. sort of necessity of, of the adaptation process. But, but yeah. regardless, uh, where I was starting there is trying to just uh, gush about the creature design, the character design. Cronin, I think is his name. I love that yeah. character. Um, oh, he's, he's freakish and, and fantastic. Yeah. So, so this was a second viewing for you? This was a third for me. So I viewed oh, okay, it. Okay. Yeah. So, but none of it was in the theater. So I viewed it when it first came out to home video. Wasn't that taken with it. So a couple of years later, it came out in 2004. And I want to say around like the 2006, 2007 mark, mm -hmm. I got it. And, uh, and, and it was one of those 
it's going to sound so awful, but it was one of those like $5 bin at Walmart right. for the director's cut. So I was like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll pick it up. I got a little bit of disposable money. Um, and so I, I did that. And then I watched it then and liked it a little bit more. I was like, I'm glad I have it. And that was just sort of where my shrug was. This viewing, I'm not quite sure why. Maybe we'll be able to unpack why. Um, this particular viewing, I was much more favorable to it uh, in an unexpected way. I was not expecting to respond to it as possible. I still don't think it's... I'm, I'll even make this statement. I still don't think it's quite as good as it maybe could have been. Um, and there's definitely some things that I would be like, okay, yeah, it's it's kind of in that upper B level movie, right. like like a B B plus kind of thing. Um, but I was much more favorable to it this time. Do you around. do you know? Um, so I guess clarify. Have you seen the non director's version? Yes, that's the version that I saw when it first came to home video. Can you? And I clarify, have no memory I, I, for it. I've not seen. Okay, well, maybe this question will go nowhere. Then I've not seen the director's version. Do you have any clue what differences there are? I don't. From my understanding, because there's director's cuts out there of things like Mimic, uh, I don't think there's a director's cut of Blade 2, but from my understanding of it, very few of his director's cuts are anything related to, like, you know, we're not about to have a descent moment where it is, like, uh, you know, like a different ending or something like that. But as far as I understand, his director's cuts are basically expanding on the characters or expanding on the world. So it, it'll be like extensions of scenes that exist in the film, but in much more abbreviated versions. Sure, sure. That's, a, that's as much as my, my understanding. The only reason that I watched the director's cut this time around is because that happened to be the version that I bought from Walmart. Right, right. And you're like, meh, five bucks. But you know what's crazy about it? So that version was five bucks, and here was another reason why it was enticing, because I'm not prone anymore to just like buying films that I didn't care that much for. It's three discs long, and it includes a two-and-a-half-hour making of film. Uh, on that second disc and like there's a whole nother third disc of supplemental material like there is just a glut of material on this set that i've i've only at the barest minimum dove into but that was what was so appealing to me about the wow it's like three discs and five bucks i'll go ahead and take that because there's probably a lot of valuable stuff in there about him if nothing else well i think that's one of the things that kind of disheartens me a little bit is like i really want to feel favorable to this first film um, because a just generally having uh, an affection for Del Toro as a person and creative, uh, two having an affection towards the character itself, um, but three right. you can just you you can tell it was made with heart and passion. I just absolutely uh, you know yeah. I, I struggled personally this time around, especially to really find a lot of you know resonance in terms of things. And I think maybe this will make some sense. So one of the things I struggled with in my viewing and I'm going to sound like such a nerd here is like, I don't know that I love the anchor of the story being the Liz and Hellboy romance. Okay. And, and I think, I don't, I don't know, like I'm, I'm, I'm all for, you know, romantic misadventures with superheroes and that sort of thing. But I feel like at least what I recall of the printed work, it was a much, that was, that wasn't as highly played. And, and so it was a much more kind of, take charge type of character wherein the film it's much more of a like like and hear me which which i actually like some of what they do i mean i think the scene on the roof with the little boy um is, oh, is good yeah i mean that's yeah, really that's good great. kind of character work once i kind of buy in to what is going on um i just sure. don't know that i love that as the through line to the film if that makes any sense at all well yeah, and I will say this, and 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 I'm not going to bring this up 40 times. One of the things that I uh, 
did actively think when I watched this, I don't care almost at all for Selma Blair's performance in Hellboy 1. And that was even further solidified by how much I enjoyed her performance in Hellboy 2. Mm-hmm. I don't know what was going on there, but I but I think one of the things for me, one of the reasons why that doesn't work that much is I'm not that bought in on her as a as a character and as a performer. She seems she seems a bit one note, uh seems a bit underdeveloped as it were. Um, she does have a couple of cool moments, but he is so so vibrant of a character, right? Uh, both in both in Ron Perlman's performance and his general look and 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 the way he's scripted and everything. And so I think that is one thing that sort of hinders it and holds it back a little bit for me is their romance is supposed to be the emotional anchor of the film, right? That and and we'll get to here, but that and his uh, adoption by John Hurt's yes. character, you know. Um, but uh, which I think personally, but, uh, sorry to cut you off, I think that is yeah. well executed. Like, I, I really oh, actually love that component of the story and of, of the, the realization of it on screen and little things. This, this, this is a, this is, and I'm acknowledging this as a tiny nitpick, um, but I was listening to some, uh, a podcast recently and they're talking about, uh, it, it's a pop culture podcast, but one of the hosts was referencing human moments in movies and like. Uh, and well, in, 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 you know, uh, movie or TV and how characters eating and things like this, just these little human moments that really don't do much in terms of story advancement, but just add a little tweak of dimensionality to the character. I, this again, sure. I'm recognizing this is a nitpick. And so don't, you know, drag me across the coals too much on this, but little things like the insistence on showing us how often they're bringing him massive amounts of food. Do you notice okay, yeah. that he literally never eats any food? You know, like, yes. it's like, yes, it's true. okay, well, again, I know it's a nitpick, but little things like that where it's like, you know, but at the same time, you're asking me to buy in on a romance that I'm a little like, I, I don't know. Like, anyway, right, anyway, right. I'm, I'm nitpicking. Yeah. Um, because, because what is, you know, difficult is that there is a lot I do like about the movie. I love the opening sequence in Scotland when he first enters oh, it's the great. story. Yeah. Um, it's a really great set piece. Um, you know, John Hurt, as always, is fantastic. Yes. As, as always, suffers uh, an unfortunate, untimely demise. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of a movie in which John Hurt hasn't died. I mean, spoiler alert. Well, no, you know, he doesn't, to... he doesn't in, um, as Ollivander, at least on screen, I don't think. He just, yeah, that's true. He just gets taken. I know. I like how you're like, uh-huh. nah, small comfort, you know. Um, yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, there's still an overwhelming glut of films in which he sure, has a death sure. There's that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, and he's he's so he's so good, and uh, I, I do think it's well cast. It's it's well it's excellently it designed. Is, yeah. I love that Del Toro generally leans into practical effects it's funny i don't know and i probably pay attention to this more than is is healthy i don't know but you can see in the film as it progresses the semi-l creatures you can discern when it's a man in a suit and when it's digital and yes and and when it's a man in a suit i'm like oh it's so good it looks so good oh yeah Um, absolutely yeah you know it reminds me of uh, randomly that this is getting a second reference here in black panther uh, one of the few things I don't like about Black Panther is honestly the sort of ramp up to and and it does over it's an overlong scene in general, but the underground train fight at the end. I'm like, yes, this is okay. so CGI and just 
zeros and ones punching each other, you know? Um, yeah, so I yeah, do, I do so. give Del Toro props cause he does mine the well of practical effects very well, which we'll see. And of course, in, in an excellent fashion in Pan's Labyrinth when we get there, but what were you going to oh, say? Oh yeah, absolutely. I was just going to also sing the praises of, uh, Abe Sapien. Oh yeah. Yeah, Jones. yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, you know, that's a man in a costume. That's, that's Jug Jones's artwork being his, his skills with his body. And so, yeah, it's that's something that I really appreciate. Again, it gets to that attention to detail. Mm-hmm. Del Toro is very deliberate with his attention to detail. Uh, Samael, the Samael creatures are very uh, specifically and deliberately crafted. And you can tell even when you only see flashes of mm-hmm. them. Uh, I love that subway fight. That subway yeah, fight is, great. is so great. It's so great. Um, and, I, you know, I... I I really do. I think I briefly mentioned, and I can't remember where uh, or on which episode it was, but I think I briefly mentioned that uh, I loved the look of David Harbour as the Hellboy in the yes. upcoming Hellboy. Yeah. And uh, and I said very cavalierly that at first I was like, yeah, I think he looks better than Perlman. I'm, I'm going to have to retract that or at least scale back on it because I was really taken with. Uh, just how Perlman looks in that yeah. in that makeup in that suit. Um, he he carries himself so perfectly in that role. He's very well suited for that role. I'm sure David Harbour will do a fantastic job. I'm rooting for him. I think it'll be great. But I don't want to take anything away from Perlman because I think Perlman does such a phenomenal job in this. Um, so yeah, I mean, and that's the thing is like this time around, I was kind of expecting. It. I knew that uh, you know, listeners peek behind the curtain when we're sort of just trying to decide. Hey, we're doing a series on Del Toro. What are we going to talk about? And we knew like, okay, Hellboy is kind of an obvious entry that we need to include when we're talking about this. But I always sort of viewed it as, well, this is the one we're just going to not like get by, not like a filler episode. But I was like, I'm sure we'll mine some some strong things from it. But I wasn't that fond or affectionate of the film. This time around, I was. Um, I was very taken with a few very specific things. You've already mentioned several of them. I always, I loved the tone. Uh, I love the, the look of some of the characters. I love the action sequences. I think every action sequence in this film is very effective. I love that you get those close-up shots where there's like the dramatic angles, but then you also get the camera pulls back and you get to see a lot of what's actually taking place, which you can tell took a lot of effort to have them execute some of those scenes. So yeah, I mean, I I really I love that. I love um, the Abe underwater scene. I think. Oh yes, I, I, yes. I would have a very short list of actual bullet point scares for this film, but and and I don't even know that that one tips over into scares. It's just a really well executed suspense scene. Oh, absolutely. When he drops yeah, the little yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. the vial yeah. that's supposed to, and I'm like, oh man. And I remember even the first time around, I was like, well, of course they're going to take out the buddy. Of course they're going to take out Abe. So I was really glad that he survived. But uh, but yeah, that's a very very tense, nerve wracking scene. I think that I think when Hellboy's horns grow back, yeah. you know that that whole moment is very affecting to me. It's not quite a scare, but just that whole thing of the monster. Oh my gosh, it does. It, it it's it's so Lovecraftian, but it's it, it's beautiful and brilliant and 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 in its horror uh the big tentacled monster kind right, of coming down right. and, and emerging and the thing it's just very it's a very grand sort of moment uh and and very epic in its in its scale but also epic on a i'll get to this in theme but also uh very broad and epic in its in its emotional resonance that specific scene because that's the that to me is the climactic moment of the film when he battles with the big beast at the very end, to me that's like denouement. That's like still. I'm glad resolution. you're saying that because I was. I'm gonna. I was gonna sound like such a hater. Like to me, that's so anticlimactic. 
Like it's it, it yeah, it does feel a bit anticlimactic because like I do like the moment. It's a trailer moment, and I do like the moment. Um, he's talking to Myers, and he's like, "How how big can it be?" As this huge right, tentacle right, thing right. like comes and drags him back. That's a good moment. That's a really good moment. But the overall fight is a little anticlimactic to me. The climactic center of the film is this whole: is he going to revoke? his destiny or is he going to embrace it and and that to me was the emotional Na- and nature versus you know? nurture brother nature versus nurture yeah, all day long all all eternity long um real quick before <laughs> we before we walk too far down that uh uh, uh infernal path i we got to give props um probably one of my favorite sequences in the whole film if i were to watch golden army it might still hold up against whatever might be in there I love Ivan. We need to give a shout out to Ivan. Uh, Yeah. The the rancorous, you know, corpse. You know, that's, it's great. It's great. And that, and you may or may not know this, but that is, that is directly lifted from the text. I don't don't know if his, the actual dialogue is, I don't know that, but in terms of the imagery of Hellboy carrying around this disembodied corpse for purposes uh, for purposes of a guide you know is is very much out of the book but i love that so great yeah well yeah and when he falls down the whole (laughs) (laughs) big that was great (laughs) that was great yeah it's really really great yeah i love old ivan um but yeah i mean like and i i I think you and i are gonna have somewhat similar themes uh you already sort of tipped your hand a bit to this but um to me the thing that i really wanted to talk about for myself the focal point of the thematic conversation in this in this conversation uh, centering around the character of John Hurt and specifically the notion that Hellboy is it's referenced a couple of times. It's referenced again in Golden Army where they say he is destined to bring about apocalypse, to bring about the destruction and the end of the world. And one of the lines that really stuck out to me is, you know, and I'm just <laughs> we're just going to dive right in. Um, one of the lines that stuck out to me was. When in that climactic moment, when when Rasputin is basically compelling Hellboy to bring about his destiny and open this portal to hell, which will bring about the destruction of the world, Myers, who has been badly wounded and is bandaged up, Liz at this point is passed out. They think dead because her soul has been like sucked up. And uh, so they're pretty sure that she's just not coming back at this point. And Hellboy is is about to do this thing. And then Myers shouts out to him and just these words. I mean, Del Toro is not a believer. I know that he was raised Catholic, but I also know that he's that he's not a believer at this moment. He's elapsed Catholic by his open declaration. But this moment resonated so powerfully with me when Myers said, you have a choice. He said, your father gave you that. Yeah. And, you know, there's so many touch points in the film, like almost almost getting a little teary when uh, his father, John Hurt, is is staring down uh, the his what he knows will be his ultimate demise rasputin is broken in they've they've sort of snuck in cronin is there and and you know cronin sort of snuck in as a corpse and then yeah fast forwarding through a lot of narrative plot but basically um john hurt knows he's gonna die he knows that he's gonna get taken out and then they're talking about hellboy about what he really is you know that i know his real name and he's saying all these other things and then hurt says to him like it doesn't matter what you call i know what to call him and nothing you can do will ever change that. I call him son. And I just like Nathan, yeah, I got a little yeah, emotional. Yeah. It like, was great. I got, it was I, great. I, it's, it's, it's a really affecting, 
it's a really affecting moment. And, and it is ultimately that images like it, they stuck out to me more, perhaps because I knew we were preparing for a conversation on this show, but images like the, you know, at the funeral for his father, this demon, he's a demon, like in the narrative of this film, he is a demon holding a rosary. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, dang. And I mean, it was it was his father's rosary. And again, spoiler alert for, well, it's not a spoiler, but tipping the hand to Golden Army through the entirety of Golden Army, he's got that rosary wrapped around his hand. So it's there with him. It's like, it's it's a part of who he is. Sure. And and then, you know, all those, all those little images and touch points, those little moments like, you know, Myers throws the rosary at him at that climactic moment when he's about to open the portal of hell and it burns the image of the cross on his hand, yeah. you know, and, and there's so much wrapped up in it from a thematic standpoint of you were meant to be this thing. You were built and designed and created to be this destructive uh, thing of evil, as it were, a thing of, of apocalyptic destruction. But you're, but you were adopted into something else. And because you were adopted into this other thing, then you have been given a choice. You've been given a choice to be something else and do something else. And that is so immensely powerful to me for all the things that I would fault and that we have faulted the film for. Uh, I think that was, that largely bolstered my affection was just that reflection that like, hey, you have been given a choice not to be this other thing, but to but to be this instead. And uh, yeah, I just, well, I just I, found that I love, deeply affecting. I love that you can even blow that out a little bit in the sense that this very direct line between Broom, John Hurt's character, and Hellboy. Broom, but even yes. take it take it a little step further, and like this is. Maybe I was going to say this is applying more than perhaps what is intended, but, but maybe I'm not, maybe that's not true. And maybe this is where del Toro's, uh, uh, through line of his work overall reveals itself in the Hellboy story is Mm. these misshapen misfits with this adoptive father who they, they, they help push back the dark, you know, we're, we're the things yes. that knock back. Yes. Is that what does he say? Oh, there are things that go bump, yeah, things in the that night. go bump in the night. We're the things that bump back, yeah. you know? And, and, and again, that's a great, back. as you alluded to with the other one, that's a great trailer line, but, but even then uh, take it into its deeper connotations of just like, you know, not only are you in the case of Hellboy specifically subsuming this inherent genetic sort of predisposition, you are then, yeah, actively working for quote unquote the light or the good you know and that's a, that's a, that's a you yes. know unquestionably a really powerful take on this story and i know this 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 seems like a really random intersection here um and and we don't have to spend long here but i think <laughs> you're going to you might roll your eyes at me this is one of the reasons i didn't <laughs> love talk about kevin so much and and what i tried to articulate in my reaction to the kevin character was it's like it's 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 very similar, you know. Ostensibly, Hellboy is quote unquote born bad, but mm, the mm. impact and effect of uh, interaction and community and love uh, 
sways that in him. Now, again, I know the, the pieces are going after different ideas, and I, I totally understand that. But sure, just, just sure, taken on their face, the character of Kevin felt so kind of... Uh, it, it is funny to say I can relate more to Hellboy than I can to Kevin, <laughs> just because I felt like it's it was very much a one-track path. Regardless, I don't we don't need to camp out there long, but it makes me think of that. Like, because the, no, and the, I understand because sure. the idea of the Hellboy character is, can your, can your circuitry be overridden, you know? Yes. By something right. stronger and more power, more powerful. Uh, and I think that's a really powerful right. idea. Yeah. Because, and, and again, it comes back to that. You, you have a choice. There is, the, there is a choice at hand. We've talked before. I think that this theme hit pretty heavy, uh, when we talked about the invitation, you know, which feels like quite a while ago now, but uh, when we talked about the invitation and and that idea of you have before you life and death, so choose life, you know, like there is this there's this notion of you can go this way or that way, you are not necessarily doomed or destined into into this one specific path, into this one specific track, as it were. And yeah, I think on this very subtextual level there was something about just the character of hellboy just the whole nature of yeah i I just found it very compelling and and powerful this time around this notion that yeah he does not he does not have to be what he is claimed by so many people to be either a monster or a freak you know abe says to to liz at one point this is after abe is wounded and uh after abe is wounded and then Liz is trying to figure out whether or not she's going to go and help Hellboy. Um, and he says to her, and I, I just I thought this was really, really strong. He says, if there's trouble, all us freaks have is each other. Yeah, that was great. And and yeah, it it I think it would be really easy for us to look at the sort of the freakish nature of things. And again, we've talked we talked in Devil's Backbone uh, about how compassionate Guillermo del Toro is towards all of his monsters, towards all of his people. So in the, in a way, Hellboy is a really natural fit because he's a monster that you that you really want to you you want to root for him. But there is this notion of like somebody's got to stand up for the freaks without necessarily having to change how you look. It doesn't have to define who and how you are. Right. Um. Like one of the things we had a um, uh, shout out uh, to a listener, Vera Goody, I think is how you say your last name. Uh, when we had our conversation about the orphanage, that was great, and yeah. uh, and had a very articulate, very moving uh, observation about uh, people who uh, are treated by society. Again, this is back to the conversation about the orphanage, and I'll loop it back into Hellboy in a second. But uh, treated by society as if they should have proverbial bags over their heads that they should just basically. Like, oh, okay, we're just going to hide you away. We don't know how to deal with you. We don't know how to communicate with you. We don't know what to do about you. So we're just going to hide you away. And uh, and we don't want to have to think about you. So we, so that's that's the point. And uh, in our brief exchange, you know, on the Facebook page, this notion of, yeah, that, that that's the idea that Christ brings us into of, like, stepping forward and removing the bag and saying, you know, here, come with us. We've saved a, ta- a place at the table just for you, uh, where you don't have to feel like a freak, where you don't have to feel like you don't belong. And I just, I, I think it is so, you know, it's interesting. Devil's Backbone opens with this, what is a ghost? Right. Did you also notice that, that, that it, I, you know, probably because of, you know, such successive viewing that this opens up with ponderings of what is a man? Right. 
Right. You know, like, and and that's what it begins and ends the film with. You know, I don't think Pan's Labyrinth ends that way, <laughs> opens and closes that way, but we'll see when it gets there. But uh, but basically, this notion of like, yeah, what is a man? And the film very deliberately lands on it, it's your choices that make you who you are. That's a theme of Del Toro's work. It's like it's what you choose yeah. to be and what you choose to do. And I think that's the thing that would be really easy for people to take a step back and say, well, I'm freakish. I'm unloved. I'm unaccepted. I don't have a choice but to be this or do this or to you know act out or whatever. I don't have a choice because this is just how I was born. This is my resignation to everything. But that's the power of the gospel into which we've been adopted, to, to Shanghai that metaphor. The gospel into which we've been adopted says, no, you do, you do have a choice. Your father gave you that. Right. Like right. Your, your father has given you a choice to, to be better, be different. And to make something different of yourself, that you don't have to be resigned to that verdict that was cast onto your life to say that that's all you will ever you will ever amount to. And I found I found it very powerful him ripping the horns off of his head and him saying, "No, no, I've you know I'm making a choice." Uh, I found gonna, that to be I'm gonna very make, effective. I'm going to make a really maybe uh, odd parallel here and and intersect a little bit of um, personal stuff. I, I had this. Really lovely and and a little on my part emotional conversation with my wife the other night because I was just reflecting on, you know, being in my late 30s and I am prone to wistfulness, uh, which is not like a cool thing. Um, but, you know, just 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 prone towards like it, uh, I would not categorize it as so and so has it better than me by any means that like that's not what I mean. But in terms of like. I can get very lost in my head, um, you know, and sort of ponder, well, you know, I sort of would would like to be a little more like X, Y, or Z in terms of personal practice in life. Not like, sure, look at that. Yeah. Look at what that guy's wearing. Nothing like that. Uh, I mean, I'm wearing Marvel Comics house slippers right now. Um, <laughs> but I but I came to this real and, and perhaps it was the Lord working in my spirit um, and I'm, I'm going to try to tether this back to what you're going for in a minute but I had this real like revelatory moment and and astute listeners will have heard me reference a couple times this podcast Bible for Normal People and just I read a lot of um, I wouldn't say it's academic theology per se but I read a lot of like theological type of stuff and and mm. and there was a piece of material I consumed recently that I don't know if this is what the material was actually saying, but what I took from it that really ministered to me and what I felt like if the Lord was saying anything to me in all of this. And, and perhaps I ask you, my friend Reed to hold me a little accountable to this, you know, listeners just do, do, do you. Um, but <laughs> was this interesting conceit and notion, um, this is this is consolidating a lot of internal stuff into just a few sentences, but and what I said out loud to my wife was like, I will never exhaust what there is to read and what there yeah, is sure. to process and what there is to try to get ahead and keep ahead and be on top of the conversation. You will never exhaust that. And even for someone right. like me, and maybe you would echo this about you who like, it's part hobby in the sense that you just kind of like it, but it's also part like, no, I want to be, I want to be a learner. I want to be open to what the spirit would teach me through people I respect and admire who are doing good ministerial work in the world. 
but also I felt, I started to feel like I was hitting this wall of like, but what do I do? Mm. And I feel like what the Lord was really imparting to me was this kind of simple kind of statement of, you know who you are now, Mm. now what do you want to do? You know, and I, I just was really arrested by that. Like, in other words, there's a way you could construe my consumption of these resources as like, well, well, who am I in light of these things? And, and what do I, you know, like, what do I feel about it? And, and, and how do I order, right, order right. my inner, inner life and my personal theology and blah, blah, blah. Whereas I think ultimately, and this is a, it's a good thing. Like, this is a positive thing where, you know, again, you can, you can attribute it or I might attribute it to the Lord. Uh, or, or the spirit working in me of this sort of thing of saying, no, you're, you're right, Nathan. You're, you're never going to get to the end of, of this stuff. Like <laughs> you will, right. you will, you will always right. keep reading and consuming. It's kind of what you do. But, but, but at a certain point, I want to encourage the Lord to me. I want to encourage you to, to say, you, you know who you are right now in that, what would you like to do? And, 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 and tying this clearly directly back into this Hellboy idea of like, you have a choice, your father gives you that. And I don't know, it it really is a powerful idea um, that that I think we can lose sight of. I mean, I I know for me personally, in telling that story, it is very easy for me to lose sight of like, um, there, there are very few things I hold to as certain truths, certain as in certainty, not particular certain Right, but right. one of those things I do feel pretty confident of is my self-awareness and my who who I feel like I am in relationship to the Lord and who he is to me and how I share that towards others and with others. And so you get to a point where you're like, okay. <laughs> now now do the yeah. now do the thing. Like what but what thing? Just <laughs> just do it. What make a choice. You know, and, and I don't know. I know that's yes. that's yes. A, that's yes. Uh, on the one hand, liberating. On the other hand, it's incredibly burdensome. <laughs> sure, of course. Anyway, that, that's, well, I feel like I understand what you're saying because every ch- every choice you make, it can be a little bit frightening because every choice you make is five thousand you didn't make, and right, so there right. can be a yep. lot of intimidation about like, well, am I going down the right path? Am I making the right decisions? Um, and then there can be a lot of pressure. There's a lot of people who have who have and will express opinions about you and what you should be doing that, you know, I'm making air quotes, what you should be doing to yourself. And yeah, I do think that there's a sense of agency that comes with adopting your your understanding of your adoption into the body, your grafting into the body and recognizing that, no, I, I, I have been given the, the I have been given agency. Sure. I've been yeah. given the capacity to choose. I've been given the uh, the wherewithal to say I will do this and not do this. You know, as Gandalf says to to Frodo, you know, all we get to decide is what to do with the time that has been given us. It's the most beautiful and, and frustrating line in all of literature. It, it, it is. It is. And I do. And I and I, maybe this is a good moment um, to to wind the conversation down maybe a little briefer than our listeners are used to us being of late, but the scripture that I thought of for this, which may feel a little on the nose, I'll just go ahead and say it is on the nose, but is uh, Joshua chapter 24 an oft quoted passage of scripture. We may have even quoted it before on this show, but it's uh, Joshua chapter 24 verses 14 through 15. It says, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. 
Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And this is verse 15. It says, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in the land in which you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And again, an oft-quoted scripture, not a lot to that as I see it, except that you, you have the agency to decide, are you going to go this path or that path? Are you going to go, uh, are you going to in, involve and invest yourself in this or in that? And I think that is one thing that the idea of the choice that we've been given. My father always likes to say, um, Christ died to protect your right to choose. And I, I do think there's some, you know, theological unpacking that we could talk about there. But I think that the root of the of the idea there is that, like, no, the Lord wants choice from you. He wants he wants your will as well as your desire and as well as all of these other things. He wants your will to be active and present and in alignment with the kingdom and the body and choose this day. Whom you're going to serve? Are you gonna? Are you going to bring about the apocalypse, or are you gonna? <laughs> well, and I, are you going I to? feel like inherent to what you're saying, but I want to make really clear, and I think you would agree with, like it's not just agency, but it's identity. Like, um, yes, you, yes, you, I agree. You know, in the in the case of a Hellboy, rather, rather um, clearly, so you've got the Rasputin wooing him towards one identity, and you've got the love and tenderness of broom that compels him towards a more healthy whole identity. And what's fascinating, and this is where the agency part comes in. What's fascinating and, you know, apply this how you want to yourself. Both of those identities are real and true in him. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They're both factual. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so that, that can be a, 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 a talking point in terms of like, you have the capacity, you know, you, you can align yourself as in your identity as quote unquote sinner, or you can align yourself in your identity as quote unquote saint, you know, like these are at yes. your disposal. <laughs> um, yes. And, yes. and hear me, we're not, we're not always going to choose the quote unquote right or best one. Um, but you, th- these are at your, are at hand. And, and not only do you have the agency to choose them, but, they are wrapped up in what identity maybe <laughs> ignore the political implications that could come out of this statement. Cause that's not what I intend in the moment. Uh, maybe you have the capacity to choose that identity. You know what I mean? Like, like, mm-hmm. you, you know, and which one you're going to align with. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Who, who are you going to be? <laughs> who are you going to um, be? I want to, I want us to go ahead and and swerve into David S. Pumpkins, but I feel it in my heart to say one more thing about this notion of choice. It says elsewhere in the scriptures, uh, I believe it's in the book of uh, Lamentations, it says, uh, your mercies are new every morning. And I think I've said this on the show before, but I do want to reiterate this as one of the things that I believe is that if you have chosen unwisely for even years, there there is an opportunity to you at this moment very present and fresh every day to make different choices and better ones and new choices. And when I read the passage that says the Lord's mercies are new every morning, it means they aren't, his mercies are not used up by the bad choices you made in the years behind you. And there's a possibility and a path set before you to make new, good, and better ones 
and choose your identity and choose your uh, your direction and your path in in what is set before you. So, amen. It wouldn't feel amen, appropriate to pigeonhole like that. So, um, so yeah, a uh, little bit briefer conversation than than our listeners are used to. But you ready to bring in our uncle, old David S. Yeah, in David the SP. Your, in the spirit of your altar call, I would have said Deacon Pumpkins. Come on down. <laughs> you know, we're gonna pass the plate. <laughs> Deacon um. Pumpkins. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Deacon S. Pumpkins. Yes. Um, so, so yes, as we do every single film that we discuss, we uh, rate these films in a measurement of uh, in in David S. Pumpkins. We rate it by style, by scares, and by substance, and then we aggregate that together to spit out a number that is uh, frequently controversial. As we are, as we are learning, it's more. It's it's more often than not. If we don't give something a seven, there's going to be some talk. I'm just, <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, just go back and listen to our Shining episode, everybody. But um, but no, we're talking today about Hellboy, and so on the level of style, uh, I'll go ahead and lead the way with style if you don't mind. Like I, I still think that it's an enjoyable film, but if I were to be fair with the general sort of status of the rest of del toro's work and this specific framework in there i'm gonna land at a 3.5 on on style uh that's very cool because i was gonna pick a 3.5 because it is all right interesting. like i do think there's a lot i like about the movie so stylistically i like it sure uh, but sure. in terms of just kind of does it last for me no not really you know d- d- is it yeah, one i will I pine you. to go back to not really so 3.5 yeah. Um, yeah, our, our second, our second metric here in terms of scares, I, I don't find it very scary. Um, <laughs> it wrapped up in just some of the imagery, the, the strong execution of the creature designs and things like that. Uh, I, I, if I gotta be honest, I might go 2.5 here. Okay. All right. Well, uh, that's fascinating because I was actually going to go slightly lower <laughs> too. For, here's because here's the thing: it's not the kind of like it's a, it's an action blockbuster. Right, like the creature right. design is fantastic, but it's not terribly scary, at least not to me. Um, it's pretty thrilling in a couple of places, and maybe that means that I should edge up my two a little bit. But in terms of just like the nightmarish quality, yeah, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna go more because there's also not really something nightmarish or freakish to think about on the thematic level for me. It's more it, it just hits my heart in a different way. I will give so, my, um, my point five yeah. is all wrapped up in Cronin. I do think he's pr- ah, gotcha. He's yeah, pretty he's dang, a creepy, pretty dang freaky. Yeah, creepy, creepy character. Um, and then for substance, this one's tough because I think it's embedded in the concept, and I think very deliberately. You know, we say Guillermo del Toro adapted. He also he adapted the screenplay and directed the film, so it's very much his vision of this work. Um, and I'm I'm kind of wanting to lean a little heavier on substance, but I, I'm going to land at a 3.5 for substance as well, um, just because I think it's it's basically just rooted in the in the concept primarily, and then uh, the rest is just sort of extrapolations you can make. Yeah, I, I think um, I'm more or less with you. It's very on the nose. Um, I'm going to give mm-hmm. it a three because I do think it's having a conversation. I just think it's a very like, yeah, exactly. Uh, nature versus nurture. There sure, it is. Sure. You know, <laughs> like yes, is, yes, is Hellboy yeah, is that. Hellboy gonna be his demon self or is he gonna be his good guy self? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, that means that we give officially Fear of God ratings uh, for Hellboy for the first Hellboy. Uh, we give it six out of ten. David S. Pump. Well, hey, which it's, is not, it's, it's not almost bad. as good yeah. as The Shining. <laughs> almost. <laughs> I love, oh, I love that. Like in the history of cinema, those two probably are not 
there aren't more further apart uh, in terms of the I horror know, genre. And true. for us, they're like a point five apart. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. It's so funny. Well, that's that's why it's a very specific metric as we introduce it yes, every week. It is. Um, it is. So, uh, but yeah, so six out of ten, David S. Pumpkins feels about right for Hellboy. I actually thought it might even land on like a five or a five point five. So yeah, six feels right. Um, and uh, yeah, but but that's not to say that it's not a value. Like if you're if you're a fan of this kind of thing, it's, it's it fun. is. It's it's a fun popcorn yeah, movie. It's, it really it's is. fun. It's enjoyable, and and I don't know when or if we will ever get around to it. But um, if if the first Hellboy leaves you somewhat ambivalent, seek out Golden Army. Golden Army is funnier. It's got it's a little creepier. It's got some deeper thematic resonance and does some really great things with the characters. So so if if Hellboy left you a bit flat, I would say seek out Golden Army because I think it's a very very good film, and I think in many ways a better film. But yeah, we're still trying to give a lot of love to Guillermo del Toro because we love him and we love his work. So, um, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. Uh, let us know your thoughts on Hellboy, on some of the things that we've extrapolated here. And, um, and yeah, uh, we're going to be picking up next week with uh, another installment of del toro toro toro. Do you want to go ahead and tell them to, to check out the next installment? Because I mean, there's I th- only one. I think they know. But uh, they know. In, in, they know. In yeah. case you're just outside of the loop, like way outside <laughs> of it, we will so, tell you between now and next week. Uh, watch Pan's Labyrinth, um, and we will yes, we will discuss uh, it next week on hashtag Del Toro 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 number three point five. If we count the orphanage, um, so <laughs> thank you so much, guys. It's been a fun conversation. Um, we will see you next week. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but it is not the end of the conversation. To continue this conversation, you can follow us on Twitter at The Fear of God. Visit us on Facebook to comment on one of our posts or to post there yourself. You can follow Reed on Twitter at Reed Lackey. You can follow Nathan on Twitter at The Nathan Rouse. Visit MoreThanOneLesson.com to leave a comment on this post or any of the official episode posts. Email us at fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. And last but not least, if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating or a review. Thank you for listening, everyone, and we'll see you next week.